If you have a choice between working on the understand or the meat part, yeah, you could work on the meat part and try to hire more R&D people who are brighter and have higher grade point averages. Good luck with that. Maybe it'll work. But right now, the understand part is that unbelievably ripe, undeveloped area that B2B companies can go into. That's my thinking. That's where the next decade, companies who really want to grow if they're B2B, it's going to focus on understanding customer needs. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. This is a continuation from last week's episode. So this is part two with Dan Adams from the AIM Institute. And if you haven't listened to part one, you probably want to go hear that one first. Dan is a tremendous person to speak with. He's got such experience and he's graciously sharing so much of his knowledge with us in this podcast that uh, we decided to make it to two episodes. So here we go with part two. Thanks for joining. You mentioned the word services before, and I, I see a lot of companies, it's early days still, I believe, but a lot of companies are moving from product, I sell a product, to I sell a business model or I sell a service. I didn't invent the business model because I'm going to sell a complete experience. Are you seeing some of that as well? We are indeed. In fact, very early when we do our workshops, I have to sort of apologize for new product blueprinting, which is the name of our stuff, right? Yeah. And what I, the way I do it is I, I explain it this way. If you had an insurance agent or a banker come over, they might say, gosh, we've got a great new product for you and your family. And you're kind of looking around. You don't see any physical article. It's really a service, right? Yeah. So we like to use the broader definition of product. And so people say, well, does this work? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. You know, it just took me. I'm a slow learner, Paul. It took me years <laughs> to figure this out. So, so I'm a chemical engineer, right? I know this works in the chemical industry. So guess what? Our first few companies that we clients were chemical companies. Mm, yeah. And then... Somebody who made components or actually other materials other than the chemicals, they want to do it. Oh, I hope this works. And it did. Mm. And then we got working with a company that made components. Think about things like hydraulic cylinders and switches and stuff. Okay. That's not, that's what a component is. Yeah. It yeah. still kept working. And then a little later on, we got some companies that they make equipment. I thought, oh, I hope this works, man. It worked. And then we got in companies that made services. And I'm thinking, why is this working? Now, I didn't say that to our clients, okay? But I was wondering, why does yeah. it keep working? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, finally, yeah. <laughs> it finally dawned on me. It has absolutely nothing to do with our product. It's all about the customer. If the customer has knowledge, interest, objectivity, and foresight, it doesn't matter what our solution is. It's <laughs> all about understanding their job to be done and their desired outcomes. So the process works yeah. in virtually any area, except for consumer goods where maybe right. this month, this color is in fashion and that month it's out of fashion. We won't be any good in that area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember a um, company that I, I worked with some years ago, maybe out of 10 years ago or so, a supplier to the automotive industry. They made braking systems, entertainment systems, major, major components, right? And mm -hmm. uh, 
they had a gorilla client customer, uh, one of the OEMs, that was telling them, look, this is what the, I'll just use, I'll make up the entertainment system. This is what the entertainment system has to be. A, B, C, D, boom, 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 boom. Yet they knew that to survive, uh, they needed that major customer. That was the lion's share of their revenue. Mm -hmm. But where things were going, they didn't believe that that was necessarily the right way. So yep. they had to deal with the other side, which is, well, okay, all the other opportunities out there, that's the wrong way to do it. You ever face anything like that, see that? Yes, yes, we do. Our clients do all the time. You know, what we tell them, there's a couple of things, there's a lot in that question. Well, the first thing is, do you work for, do you, do you innovate for a single customer or do you innovate for a market? Now, in some cases, it's perfectly appropriate to innovate for the gorilla. So right. don't, don't get me wrong. But our natural inclination should be to innovate for the market. And here's one way that helped me understand this. Imagine, Paul, you and I work for a company, and maybe the person who becomes the CEO came, came up out of operations. And they said, I have a great idea. Let's be really efficient. Let's make one product for all of our customers. That's kind of extreme, isn't it? Yeah, you know? right. And, you know, it won't work very well, but just hold that extreme thought in mind. In another scenario, somebody out of the sales function goes up to through the ranks to become the CEO, and they go, I have a great idea. Every time we have a customer who has a need, let's create a product just for that customer. So now we've, we've created two extremes here, right? One product for everybody, which is very efficient. Yeah. One product for every customer, which is very effective. But the first one isn't effective and the second one isn't efficient. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, so what do we do? So my definition of a market segment is a cluster of customers with similar needs. So what if we innovated for market segments? Ah, now if they all had the same needs, have I lost any effectiveness at all? I have not and yet I'm being as efficient as I possibly can. So we're always in competition with other companies, with bright R&D people. And so to the extent we can be as effect effective and as efficient as we can in our innovation, over the long haul, we will win. Mm -hmm. Now, again, you may have to do something for that special customer, but think about different levels of commercial risk. The highest level of commercial risk is, we think the customer wants this, let's go make it, okay? Let's take it down one notch. Our salespeople think the customers want this, let's go make it. Let's yeah. take it down another notch. This one person at this one customer says we want this, let's go make it. Let's take it down another notch. Let's at least interview all the multifunctional people at that company mm. to make sure technical and marketing and operations all agree. Now let's take it down another notch. Let's look at all the customers that, that we could serve with this. Let's take it down even more commercial risk. Let's, let's go down the value chain and see what their customers want. Let's take it down more. Let's do diver, divergent qualitative interviews and preference interviews. So if we will be very intentional about this, we yeah. can drive out all commercial risk. It's kind of like, you know those books, you know, choose your own story? Yeah. Well, this is choose your own level of risk. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> Working for yeah. one customer can be pretty risky. It so can. last piece of advice. If you're going to do it just for one customer, at least set up a discovery interview, get multiple functions in there, get the sticky notes going. They may say, I want A, B, and C, 
But by the time you're done with that meeting, you'll have learned about D, E, F, and G. Okay. Right. Yeah. Then do the preference interview, which forces the customer to think in a more disciplined fashion and then say, is this what you want? Because they almost never think of everything they want. And you really don't want them dribbling out their requirements over months or years. Right, right. And I thought that preference interview and that whole focusing on the, 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 the quantitative piece of it can be very effective in, in helping the gorilla realize, well, maybe that's not right. right. Exactly. Or maybe Joe had it all wrong and the rest of his colleagues, once we discussed it, we got the yeah. real straight story. Very dangerous to listen to one person or doing it in an undisciplined fashion. Yeah, yeah. Now, this area we've been talking about, this voice of customer and all these concepts, is that what you call new product blueprinting? It is. So new product blueprinting is really the entire front end of innovation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the discovery and preference interviews are the key part. But if our clients need help picking that market segment, we have tools for market segmentation and research. And then if they have a big project, we can help them with side-by-side -side testing, a little bit of light technical brainstorming. We can basically take them all the way up to a market case or a business case to mm -hmm. go into that money gate. And then we are done. They're done with us at that point. Yeah. And yeah. then they go into the laboratory. That is new product blueprinting. Got it. So there's the tooling and the, and the, the education, the training, right? Both pieces. Exactly. Yeah, what we do, Paul, and I think you know this already, but we, we wrap quite a bit around them. You know, to get the training, they come to a two-half-day virtual workshop, but we, we caution them. We say, guys, you're only going to learn 20% of blueprinting at this workshop. 80% yeah. of it is when you apply it on a real project, and we generally will assign a dedicated uh, AIM coach. Yeah. Now they go through the whole process. So... Every time they have a meeting, that AIM coach helps them. And yeah. then we have 31 e-learning modules they take week after week. We've got this massive Blue Help Knowledge Center with hundreds of articles. We've got these blue tools on things, to aids to help you get the customer to say yes to an interview. And then all of it is contained in software as a service where the whole team can collaborate and share their sticky notes and their preference interviews and their business case and all that. So there's yeah. a lot to kind of wrap, a lot of tools, but there's also a lot of skills. So that's a kind of a combination. Yeah. And, and I think it, I wanted the listeners to know that uh, that's, that's kind of what you have and, and have proven. I, I think your 20% into learning up front is, is a great number. And there's nothing like on the job training, but yes. what I like is you, you provide a safe way of doing on the job training because you're not abandoning her training's done. Have fun. Good luck. <laughs> right. You stay with them. You stay with your, your, your clients. We, we probably all worked at companies where we were exposed to a parachute workshop and a parachute <laughs> workshop in my definition is where the trainer parachutes in for a couple of days and says, good luck. Hope it works out for you guys. Yeah. yeah that's the <laughs> majority of training. Yeah. It's the majority right. of training I've experienced. Yeah. Exactly. I, I tell clients, you know, we have to charge them for the coaching. I say, gosh, if we could not do this coaching, believe me, life would be so much easier. But we just know after 17 years that they need that they're going to be right. successful. After the first project, they've mastered the skills and it's a beautiful thing to watch, but we just have to help them. Yeah. Well, you have a couple of other things. I don't know whether they're processes or tools or, or 
programs, maybe all of the above. Uh, you have more than just just uh, new product blueprinting. Share what else you, you guys are doing. Yeah, so, you know, after we were at this blueprinting stuff for a few years, we we had a, a couple of very large Fortune 50 companies, come, clients come to us and say, hey, we're developing better products, but we, but we don't know how to launch them now. So yeah. we came up with a methodology called uh, Launch Star. The kind of the basics, the, the underlying philosophy is you need the right product going to the right market with the right message through the right venue. And so it's kind of like, you know, you do the right product in the blueprinting and development, right? But then it's kind of like, well, um, who to tell, what to tell, and how to tell. Is it a webinar? Is it is it search engine optimization? Is it, you know, is it a trade show? So that methodology, I don't know, we probably started that around 2009 or something. Mm-hmm. And we do have e-learning, we have training, we have software as a service. So yeah. it kind of parallels blueprinting, but it's not as big a part of our business. In fact, most of the time, if somebody comes to us and says, we need product, we need help in product launch because our launches are terrible. I say, well, why are your launches terrible? Is it because you didn't, you know, use the right digital media or do you have a, if you have a bad idea that customers don't want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, that's the second one. The, the third one I, I think is quite interesting and I'm still in the learning mode on this, but we found that a number of our clients would often go into familiar markets, you know, and do their new product blueprinting. But a number of them were going, maybe maybe a fifth of them, were going into adjacent and unfamiliar markets. Now, blueprinting still works there, but when you do blueprinting in a familiar market, you're learning what the customers want that they're not getting, and you already know what they were used to getting, right? Because it's familiar. When you go into an unfamiliar market, yes, blueprinting will tell you what they're not getting that they'd like to get, but it doesn't always tell you what they're already getting. Mm, And beyond that, when you go into an unfamiliar market, you may be doing some fairly transformational innovation. So think about it this way. Blueprinting handles commercial risk, but what about operational risk? What about technical risk? What about Mm. regulatory risk? So we came up with a method we call it Minesweeper de-risking. Um, and this allows the team, in fact, I just got done coaching this last hour, a couple hours. It allows a team to assemble all of the assumptions that must be true. How big is the market? You know, are there competitive blockages, um, regulatory things? Can we scale up? I mean, most of our clients, when they do this, they'll come up with 50 to 100 assumptions that must be true. That's too many to work on. So what we do is we have hmm. them rate them for impact and for certainty. Now, the assumptions that have high potential impact and we're relatively uncertain about now, those we put on what we call a checkpoint plan to investigate. So the multifunctional team members go chase these things down. Somebody might go in the lab and do an experiment. Somebody might go do a customer interview, maybe with blueprinting. Somebody might interview a GLG industry expert. And so what we do is we're building the certainty on these. If it's really important or impactful and really uh, uncertain, it's a red danger zone. Yeah. And then as you move up with a little more certainty, you go in the yellow caution zone and they try to get them in the green safe zone. It's a nice way of uh, managing the risk of a project and 
communicating with management. So that's our minesweeper de-risking. Much newer, but um, pretty pretty effective. I like the concepts. I I, I just like the the fact that you're able to help companies just think through how do you do that, right? And what do you what do you think about? How do you organize it? How do you what, you know? It's just the the process and the the data that you should be organizing around it because that's that's I think where people uh, would appreciate help. We're not all experts. No, we're not. And I, I like your point. You know, so far on the Minesweeper, it, it, we've got two types of clients. One, they're not doing anything like this. It's all new and they, they really love yeah. it. But there's also a group of um, very small group of customers. I wish I could give you their names. They're just we're, they're held up by the world as being the best in innovation. Yeah. Uh, and also some universities, some tech transfer comp- uh, uh, departments at universities are using this, too. And they were already thinking like this. So they were, this is not a Mm. a completely new concept, but they didn't have the software to manage it. There's tricky things that you don't know until you get into. I'll just give you an example. When you start figuring out all the tasks you need to investigate, you have the one to many and the many to one problem. I'll, I'll explain it. You could have one task that helps you resolve three assumptions. In other words, you could have the task of interview a GLG industry expert, but that could resolve the assumption of, is the market big enough? It could resolve the task of, is the market growing fast enough? It could resolve the assumption of what's the competitive landscape. That's the one to many. But then you could have the many to one. You could have the assumption, I need to be able to scale this up to full production, but you've got three tasks. Can I do it in lab scale? Can I do it in pilot? Can I do it in full production? So managing that sort of stuff, with I tried it in Excel. It just wasn't mm. working. So getting a cloud-based solution was the answer for us on that. Got it. And companies don't build, they don't innovate alone anymore. There's an ecosystem, mm. right? Mm. They've got plenty right. of, sometimes it's universities, sometimes it's partners, sometimes it's customers. Are you seeing that as well? We are. We've got uh, something right now. Two universities are collaborating for a project for the federal government. I'm not allowed to say what the uh, what department it is, but but right. uh, yeah, they're able to get on a project and collaborate yeah. in the cloud. We yeah. also, you know, this is another change with the um, the pandemic. When we were doing our training pre-pandemic, we would go into where anywhere in the world. I remember I went to Shanghai seven times in one year. Boy, that beat me up. So we would drop in and we, we would do these workshops, sometimes on totally wrong time zone. But here's the thing. It was kind of hard, you know, with Excel back in those days before we had the cloud solution for those teams to collaborate. So now with virtual, everybody getting used to Zoom and Teams and all the software in the cloud, most of our teams for our large multinational companies, clients, they have global teams. So they're interviewing in Asia, Europe, North America. The data mm-hmm. lets them do standard deviations, see what's different, what's the same. So yeah, collaboration is a really big thing these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if there was you know, one piece of advice you wanted to give somebody uh, to be more successful around innovation, what, what would it be? It would be this. Do not allow any significant product into your development stage 
unless you have unbiased, unfiltered, quantified data direct from the customer, untouched by human hands, <laughs> that tells you what they do and do not want. That is the number one thing that they need to do. Now, they won't be able to do it initially, right? Yeah. I mean, it's going to take some training. That to work. So it's not going to be like flipping on a light switch, but this should be their goal. And you might say, well, wait a minute, you use the word significant in there. So what if I've got a project that's going to take like a month in the lab? No, 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 don't do blueprinting. A good rule of thumb is if you are going to be spending about one person year or more in the lab or in engineering on development, it is worth it to you to do these interviews. I could go through the math on that, but there's some substantiation for that. That's where if they really want to crank up, crank up their organic growth through market-facing innovation, that's what they need to do. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that was a great, uh, that was, I think, a great bow to put on our discussion here. I, this has been phenomenal. You've clearly uh, uh, helping a lot of companies. I know, I know you are. And uh, I think the listeners hear it in your voice. You're having a lot of fun doing it, too. I am, Paul. But also, yeah. before we go, we're going to have some fun together. Yeah. Because... You guys at Sophion are the leaders in stage in, in systems, automated, uh, digitized systems. Many of our clients are already using what you have. And as you know, one of your favorite clients happens to be one of my favorite clients. And they're already taking the blueprinter data out of the front end and they're plugging it into your Sophion stage gate. And this is just yeah. the beginning of the journey. So now we're going to keep collaborating on this, but you know, it's going to get to the point where a company can look at a portfolio of projects and instead of losing or forgetting all that rich front end data, how many interviews, who's, who was, how, what was the market satisfaction gap, which job functions wanted, which all that's going to be captured in the Sophion accolade system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, for sure, long-term trending around that, we're seeing such turnover in companies where new people come in. They need to be able to tap into that. Yes. Uh, they need to even understand, well, why are we doing this and what is that process? So there's, there's such great opportunities to help companies who are uh, uh, dealing with the turnover that they're facing nowadays. And, you know, help. it's just so many great opportunities there for the innovation workers. So, yeah, you've, uh, you've tipped the hand a little bit. Yes, we, we want to work together and have some really fun ideas. And for those of you listening who are wondering, who's that customer? Stand by. <laughs> <It's>, you'll find <laughs> out soon enough because uh, that customer has, uh, has agreed to come on a future podcast. So uh, watch this space, so to be. Well, uh, Dan, any, any final comments before we, uh, we close up our session today? You know, I think if we just step back a little bit and ask, what do most business leaders want? What they really want is rapid, profitable, sustainable, organic growth. I mean, if you think about that, what happens when you get that kind of growth? Well, the Wall Street loves you, right? Activist investors are active somewhere else. They quit pestering you, right? right. Uh, customers respect you. They want to work with you. Your employees have meaningful work to do, and they have stable careers because we're not going up and down like a yo-yo, oh, bad year, good year, bad year. So this is what everybody wants if they just stop and think about it for a few moments. Now, how do you get rapid, profitable, sustainable, organic growth? Can't go into it now, but any other initiative you can think of, productivity, quality, they're all good, global expansion, 
but none of them will give you that sustainable organic growth that we're looking for. There's only one thing that will do it. That's called market facing innovation. Okay. Now, let me break it down one last time, then I'll actually stop talking, Paul. <laughs> how do you how do you get market facing innovation? How do you exceed what your competitors or your peer group are doing? It's very simple. Understand and meet customer needs better than others. I think that's what we should we yeah. should not be chasing maximizing shareholder wealth. That's a great result. It's a lousy goal. If you yeah. want something that's actionable and inspiring as a goal, let me be let me suggest understand and meet customer needs better than others. And the last thing I'll close with is, if you have a choice between working on the understand or the meet part, yeah, you could work on the meet part and try to hire more R&D people who are brighter and have higher grade point averages. Good luck with that, maybe it'll work. But right now, the understand part is that unbelievably ripe, undeveloped area that B2B companies can go into. That's my thinking. That's where the next decade, companies who really want to grow if they're B2B, it's going to focus on understanding customer needs. Yeah. We had a couple of, of podcast guests uh, really focusing on product management, Steve Johnson and John Mansour, and understand the customer better than they know themselves was, it, was yeah. a theme there. Yeah, it's really good. And I think that's something I know uh, – you're doing. <laughs> well, listen, Dan, this was a wonderful discussion, and I really appreciate you joining us and sharing uh, these insights you found. If, if people want to uh, find you or connect with you or learn more, uh, where do they go? You know, they could go out to aiminstitute.com. And if they haven't had enough of my ranting already, Paul, <laughs> we, we have in the aiminstitute.com website, there's something called Insights, a little banner, I put a banner, and they could go to video series. And we've just produced a series of 50, that's scary, I know, wow. 50 videos that are only two minutes long. They are free. They don't even mention the word new product blueprinting. And we're starting to get these in universities and trade associations. So if some of your listeners are interested in moving minds, they can sign up for one per day for 10 weeks or one <laughs> per week for a year. Yeah, but it's sure. aiminstitute.com. Go to Insights Video Series. Yeah, and it's not, it's not a sales job. That's what I love about this. No, it's not. We really, yeah. We're really serious. There's, there's new thinking coming. You, know, you remember the quality way, right? Toyota beat the pants off of Chrysler and GM. Well, there's going to be some Toyotas in the innovation wave, and there's going to be some Chryslers in the in the innovation Absolutely. wave. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, we get to choose. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, Dan, thanks again. I wish you uh, the best of luck in, in uh, your upcoming year, and and I know uh, I'm really looking forward to working with you on the things we're going to do together. But uh, thanks for joining us today, and um, yeah, have a great week ahead of you. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, look forward to working with you as well. Great. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this, uh, this session, and um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com. S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. 
If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.